Welcome, guys. It's nice to have you here for another episode of the Encore Podcast. And as a matter of fact, uh, Gabby, it's been a couple of weeks since we did one of these. So we should uh, really be ramped up to have a really extra special uh, edition of the <laughs> Encore Podcast. Don't you think? Yeah. In that time that we've had off, the weddings that I had finally ended. Only got one more left on the docket. Got some rest and relaxation. Ready to go. Ready to talk about The Bachelorette, which is what we're about to talk about. That is perfect. Now, as we record this, it is Tuesday night, the night before this would be released. And we do not know exactly what happens yet on the finale, the live two-hour finale. Three-hour. Is it three hours? Unfortunately, it is. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, part of that's going to be introducing the new bachelor and you know whatever. Oh. Yeah. So, but okay. But anyway, and I, as I as I told you, I don't think I've explained this before. Why am I watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette? And really, it's because my wife has been a fan of the show for a long, long time. And as I told you, Gabby, you know, she would have it on on Monday nights. And I would uh, sort of come in and out of it. I was always doing something else. But one Monday night, unfortunately for me, I did not have anything else going on. And I sat there and I watched it with her. And I got hooked. And I felt horrible about it. I got hooked on the <laughs> Bachelorette and the Bachelor. <laughs> it just seems like such a, I, I kind of feel icky about it. But <laughs> It's escapism is what it is for me. And I love to pick it apart because your aunt, my wife, believes that everything that happens on that show, it, you know, is uh, spontaneous. And I keep trying to tell her, no, this is all driven by the producers on the show. They're the ones that if they, hey, if there's no drama happening, they get in there and they create the drama because that's what they need to have a successful show. Correct. I mean, you know about this. You worked in TV. First of all, I just want to say that if you like a show, even if you consider it to be lowbrow, you got to you got to watch what you enjoy. Right. I mean, we just had the Emmys. So there was a lot of really prestige and serious TV that like won awards. And that stuff is great. But sometimes your brain doesn't really want to consume that. It just wants to watch people fight over dumb shit for two hours. So <laughs> yeah, that is true. And, you know, one of the things about this show that. I'm sure even the most uh, rabid fans of The Bachelor and Bachelorette realize is that how can you get that attached to a person in what, five or six weeks? I'm not sure exactly what the actual length of time is that these people are together. And and if you let's let's say for the sake of argument, it's six weeks out of that six weeks. How much time do they actually spend with The Bachelor or Bachelorette? It's probably not all that long. How do they get so invested to the point where, you know, there's crying and I think it's all a competition, you know, the competitive nature comes out. I think that's definitely right. And a lot of people, especially in the recent years, have openly said that they went on the show to gain notoriety, promote a, a business that they were running, you know, become E-list or D-list level famous for the various perks. And, you know, sometimes it's resulted in those people who were being honest about that ended up with the lead and they were like, I really wasn't expecting anything, but it worked out and that's great. But I definitely agree with you from things I've heard from the set, the time that they spend in total when they leave is about 48 to 72 hours. 
which is crazy because the show is like you said, I think somewhere between six and eight weeks, I think COVID has like made it shorter over the last couple of years, but to only have total alone time with them for about 48 to 72 hours prior to getting engaged. And it's not even like fully alone time. It's, you know, the two of you plus cameras. Yes. Yeah. And producers and sound mm -hmm. people. And yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing really intimate about it. The only intimate part, if it's true, is when they do that uh, fantasy suite at the, at the, you know, at some point, but anyway, when there's no cameras and crew around. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, you, you made an interesting point. A lot of people go on it just, you know, for fame and fortune and, you know, to become uh, D list or E list stars at, at the very least. And, you know, I aspire to be an E list person. I, right now I'm a G list and I got to tell you, G this list really sucks. So I, <laughs> I would like to move up to at least a knee in my lifetime. So that's my goal. It's a very low bar, but it's there nonetheless. So anyway, uh, enough about me, Gabby and Rachel tonight, the first time they've ever done two people at the forefront there. It, it's been a, an emotional roller coaster of a ride for those two women. And they're down to, let's see, Rachel's down to Tino. I shouldn't say, put it that way, but that's the way it is. Uh, and Gabby and Eric seem to be uh, the ones who are going to uh, find out what happens tonight. What do you think? Do you have any predictions? From what I've been hearing online, there's been a lot of drama. Um, my prediction to my sister last week in a text before part one of the finale started was that there would be no drama leading up to either engagements or decisions to be together in whatever capacity that is, but that there would be drama afterwards. And that's kind of the vibe I've been getting. So I'm interested to see about the drama after the fact, um, because it's going to be fun if I just watch like a nice engagement or a nice like rose handing out by both girls at the beginning of the show, only to realize that there is two and a half hours left. So there must be more coming. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I, I don't have any predictions as far as that goes, but I do have a, a prediction I'd like to share as to who will be the bachelor at the end, who they will announce. And I, I really have a strong feeling it's going to be Avon. I don't know why it's just, it, he, he's a good looking, they're all, they're all good looking. You don't get on the show unless I guess you're good looking, uh, but he's good. He's got a great personality. He's got a nice family. I just think it's going to be him. And because he was, I'm ready to get engaged. I'm ready to get engaged. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not ready to get engaged at the end of the show. So I think that they're going to put him through the ringer on the season of the bachelor that's to come. How about you? Do you have any guesses? Yeah, I think it might be Zach um, who oh. was the last um, or sorry, was the third to last person uh, eliminated by Rachel, so to speak, although he eliminated himself really. Um, but all season he's sort of been like, talking about how he was in a bad place and then he decided to start taking care of himself and he went to therapy and he lost, I think he said about 85 pounds and he, he's really, you know, in a, a better mental and physical state, you know, than he used to be. Um, and so I think it might go to him. Also, he is just boring enough that I feel like <laughs> they can let the girls personalities take over the season. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's a, he would be a good choice too, I think actually. Yeah. And plus he's uh, he has a very famous member of the family 
uh, Patrick Warburton, which surprised the hell out of me. What the heck is Patrick Warburton <laughs> doing there in the Meet the Family episode? <laughs> I mean, was... the best part about him being in that Meet the Family episode, which I can't believe we didn't talk about at the time that we taped that episode, although there was a lot going on, so I guess I can't believe it. But when I brought up his name in the room of people I was in, everyone said a different role he had played like oh the guy from x and i was like i can't believe the variety of roles that we just all said at the same time about the same man (laughs) okay well look you know maybe we should have done this episode last week because by the time these you guys are listening to this those of you who follow the bachelor and the bachelorette you're already going to know what the deal was but that's okay this is just our take on on it because we're fans as well. And I still can't believe I am. And I'm a bit embarrassed by it. You know, I think that maybe someone should suggest our uh, guest for the interview this week to be a bachelorette uh, because I, I would definitely watch it because she certainly has the personality. She doesn't take any shit from anybody. She's very smart. She's good looking uh, and she's entertaining as all get out. Nicole Murray, uh, the pride and joy of Town Square Media, is our guest for the interview next on the Encore podcast. So, uh, Gabby, I first met uh, Nicole Murray. I'm thinking it was about six years ago, six or seven years ago, but who's counting? I was working the morning show at WMGQ in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and uh, Nicole was interning, I believe, in the promotions department. Is that right, Nicole? Did I remember that correctly? Yeah. Which was a huge waste of your talents. Although, as far as promotions go, I don't think you could find... By the way, if anyone's looking for a promotions person, Nicole is not available. But what you need to do is find someone with her talents and her outgoing nature because she could promote cheese to the Swiss. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, no, No doubt in my mind as soon as I met Nicole and uh, we started talking and she, I think you shadowed me for a morning or something in the, uh, in the studio. Right. Yes. And I saw this big flashing neon sign over her head that said, I am so talented. You would not freaking believe it. Somebody needs to get a hold of this girl and uh, show her the ropes. Now that wasn't me. Were you on the air for the first time at MGQ with me, Nicole? That wasn't the first time I was on the air. They had started me out by doing like overnights and weekends just to kind of see if I could get the feel. But there was a moment with you that I don't know if you remember, but I remember to this day that when I was shadowing you, I think we had like 30 seconds until it was time to go live. And you went and like uh, we jumped in the chair and I to this day, I couldn't even tell you what we talked about, but it was like a and you were just like if you could pull together an entertainment bit without us even talking about it, then this is the industry for you. And that's just been a moment that I've never forgotten. So thank you. Yeah. Well, that's quite all right. You know, I felt bad about putting you on the spot until I heard, as I heard it going, as we were on the air, I'm thinking, Whoa, this is much better than I thought it was going to go for a moment. I thought, you know, this is something I'm going to get a hotline from the program director about right after it's over. Thank you. (laughs) Don't ever do that again. But that didn't happen because it was really good. And you you actually 
really kind of surprised me too. You were able to, uh, on the spur of the moment, put something together with me. And I show, you know, that's the kind of talent that not a lot of people in the business have, but you definitely do. So these days you're being heard in a lot of different places. Can you explain that? So right now I am working with Town Square Media and I do middays for 94.3 The Point, WJLK. It kind of worked out perfectly because whenever people listen in and, and it's time to go over things with program directors, they are like, you sound like such a Jersey girl. And I'm <laughs> like, well. <laughs> um, and then on top of that, also with Town Square Media, I have a national afternoon show, national weekend shows. Um, and then we also do writing and everything online. So there's a lot of creativity involved that I'm kind of just lucky that I have a professional outlet. Well, I'll say, and they're really kind of lucky to have you too. It sounds like they're really putting those talents to, to good use and they're saving, I would imagine quite a few bucks <laughs> spreading you around like that. Right. Yeah. But you know what? I have learned a lot. I'm still learning and I, I just, I plan on being a sponge because you never know what you're going to need to use down the line. Now, how long have you been doing this? When did you graduate from Rutgers? Oh gosh. Um, I'm going to say December of 2015. Okay. I started at my college station at WRSU, um, interned at WPLJ for two semesters, was there when Scott and Todd actually did the split. That was kind of surreal. From WRSU, I found out years later that Jeff Rafter, the program director at Magic at the time, had heard me on the air with the college station and sought me out. At the time, it was like one of those, like, oh, you should do this professionally. What do you think? I could connect you to some people. Little did I know there was someone looking for me to reach out the entire time. So that's kind of how it all got started. A friend of mine who I worked with at MGQ and went over to, uh, to Rutgers, to the radio station over there, Mike Pavlichko, I'm sure you know Mike. One day, he called me up and he said, there's this girl that works here at the station. You guys really need to hire her. And he said, her name is Nicole Murray. That's probably where everyone else heard about it too, because the word was getting out about you uh, very, very early on, which again, says an awful lot for your budding talent at the time. The content that you must have to put together on a daily basis, to me, almost seems like, wow, almost like a mind numbing set of exercises that you have to go through every day. What do you do? How do you do that? How do you prepare? What's, your, what's a normal day like for you, Nicole? Normal day involves, my goal is to get into the station around like 8.30, 9 o'clock. I'm also in recovery, so sometimes I do the prep part, part from home. But either way, at least an hour a day is used prepping. And I just, I scour our website to see what's been published since, um, local news outlets, entertainment outlets, and sometimes even as much as some people don't love the platform, sometimes Twitter is even breaking things before it is anywhere else. And you just kind of learn like which outlets to go to, but I scour the internet and that's kind of, then, then it becomes a point of grouping things and seeing what goes well and, and mapping out the hours to try and, you know, not over inundate in entertainment versus local. And it's, it's become like, I've become a little bit of a machine with that just because it's been, it's been, su it's been such an important part of like when you walk in five minutes before the show, you can hear a difference, or at least I can hear a difference. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first started at the station, were you always set to do 
so many different types of shows or were you just brought in for the first one and sort of developed these other shows as you went along? I've been hungry from the start and still hungry to this day. I'm looking to climb my way to the top. That hasn't changed. Originally, there were people who were in charge of different facets of the company as far as local, national, entertainment. And, um, and I was just a persistent little bugger of like, I'm here, I'm here, here's another demo, here's another air check in case if you needed it. Um, and it's luckily worked out, so. Well, you know what they say about the squeaky wheel, right? Oh, I get that oil. I get yeah. that oil. <laughs> I squeakiest, the squeakiest. You, you were talking about how you prepare every day. How, you know, how much of your personal life, if any, do you share on the air? I would say 90%. 90%, okay. Uh, yeah, and I found it to be almost comforting in some senses. Um, if a crazy dating story happens, you know what I mean? I'll put it out on the air and you'd be surprised what you get back of like, you're not the only one struggling. Um, I recently went through a pretty intense medical phase of my life and I'm still kind of climbing out of it. And I was very open about it, that I had a lumpectomy, I had a fusion, and part of my spine is now made of metal. And once again, the amount of support and also other stories that people shared, it just kind of makes you feel not alone. And um, I don't know, being vulnerable, it can be hard, but it also can be just as rewarding. It's always been my experience that listeners appreciate that when you share yeah. uh, parts of yourself that they can certainly pick up on and relate to. And you say uh, even vulnerable, even like sometimes the warts, <laughs> I remember, like some of the warts about myself that I would share on the air seem to get the most attention. And, you know, there for a while, I thought, gee, should I put this out there? I don't want to look like an asshole. But, you know, you'd be surprised how many assholes are out there that go, you know what, I can certainly relate to that. <laughs> that happened to me too, or, or I did the same thing, and I'll never let myself off the hook for it you know, that kind of thing. So I think the more that you share of yourself just makes you that much more relatable and people look at you and feel as though they know you, which can be a double-edged sword sometimes. I would imagine, especially for women. Yes, yes. And I have to say that with all of the internships and just shadowing and in general, all of the professionals that have a solid reputation share. There are a few out there that have somehow made it without, while keeping their life very private. But I feel like that's definitely more a rare occasion where you shouldn't be ready to step on the air and have thousands of people listen to you if you're not willing to share a part of yourself. I completely agree. I think the new set of entertainers that we're getting both on the small and large scale are really have learned to make their online presence almost an additional like limb um, is the best way that I describe it. But when you are going to share things online, do you find yourself framing it in your like on air voice, so to speak, or do you just share it and connect like who you are personally with who you are on the air, just as sort of like one seamless person? I try and make it one seamless person. I feel like I have a much more quirky comedic nature and my goal has been to make my brand almost an escape. Sometimes I talk about serious things like, you know, everything going on with women today. I can't shut up about sometimes, but there's a lot of dark out there. And these last two years especially have been so tough where my goal is like, even just scrolling on my Instagram is to make you laugh. I'm a crazy dog lady that loves the beach, loves my wine. And the, there are clips there to prove it. 
And I think people resonate with that. <laughs> Talking about the, you know, some of the crazy stuff that has happened in the last couple of years, and even this year, let's go back just a couple of months. Do you, and I know there are things that, that have to have affected you and how you feel about life. Do you ever bring politics into what you do? Are you allowed to do that? And let's say if you were, would you do it? So I've tried once or twice. Um, as far as like the whole Republican versus Democrat, we stay away from that. Now that things like racism, homophobia, they're becoming the status quo. Um, you know, I make a point just to talk about like LGBTQ. We have a few big pride events that goes on around here. Um, but I'm going to say one of the hardest days that I ever was on the air was when Roe versus Wade was overturned because we were told we can't talk about it. It's still such a hot topic and that I could lose half of my listeners if I said the wrong thing or took the wrong standpoint. But I am a whole like I am woman hear me roar. So sometimes those two sides of myself conflict where I know I'm the escape. I know people aren't tuning in to talk about Roe versus Wade because they can get that anywhere else. But um, I guess the outlet will be that there's a little bit more freedom online, that if I'm just talking about my opinion and, and I get vulnerable there, that's probably as far as I'll go. But um, it has not been the easiest few months to try and stay quiet. No, <laughs> no I can only imagine. I, you know, I, in a way, I'm glad I'm retired because I would be so, so wanting to talk about it and to let my feelings be known about it. You know, and I'm thinking, I don't know whether my listeners, if I had listeners now, would wonder what does Chris think about this? But I have to say, I, I, I would think that people that listen to you every day wonder what you thought about it. Like indirect ways to address it. Anyone who listens to my show knows that I am like female empowerment. Women should be helping other women. And how can you be female empowerment if you are on board with Roe versus Wade being overturned? So it's kind of like directly, but indirectly letting you know, like, ladies, I got your back, but like, can't really talk about it, but like, still got your back. And, um, you know, also offering certain resources like um, Planned Parenthood and all that stuff. So it's like, you find your way to sneak around it without actually talking about it. Speaking about women helping other women succeed and all of that. Do you find that to be true in, in, uh, in the radio industry uh, as far as other women? I know that you do, but do you find that to be something that happens naturally? So it's hard to answer that as far as like of a majority and overall, because the number of women that I've actually encountered that work full time on the air is few and far between. Some do and some don't, but I find that even when I am um, encounter the people that don't. I try and offer the olive branch because some people don't realize that this is the way or this is how we're all going to be more successful until someone does it to them first. It's funny to hear you say that because when when I first started in radio and, and for quite a while afterward, there weren't very many women on the air at all. And, you know, I started back in the mid 70s. And if there was a woman on the air, it's usually because she was you know, doing the news right. or, you know, uh, talking about traffic in the morning and in the afternoon, the industry has just opened up to women. It seems to me, uh, do you find that to be true as well? Somewhat. I find that some people still can't get out of the way of the way things should be done. 
that like, for example, mourning should be a man and a female or some combination, depending on how big the market is. Midday should be female. Afternoon should be male. That I want to see get mixed up a little bit. And I'm also waiting for the day that I hear about two females being on a morning show together. That's one of the like when, when that happens, that'll be like a pop the champagne. Like that'll be a huge marker in our industry. I was going to ask you how, how it let's put you on a, in the position of being a program director. You know, you want to put together a morning show for a radio station, kind of like what you do there for town square. I don't want to ask you exactly what you would do, but you kind of frown on the male female thing, even though, you know, I think for the longest time, it's been one of those things of kind of a fallback position where yeah. people who put these things together think you got to have the male point of view and you right. got to have the female point of view. And that sometimes drives the tension that will, you know, bring listeners in and make it relatable. Uh, but you, you would like to see two women on the air together. And I don't think that's a, that's a bad idea. How would that work? You would have to go and find, would you find two women who are diametrically opposed to each other in the way they present themselves? Or would you go with two women who are just, who sound like they've been friends forever? I think the friends forever part matters because I've been a witness and I've been involved in on-air responsibilities where all the counterparts in the room don't get along. Um, you can fake that to a certain extent, but there's just certain like ha-ha moments where even today at the point, I get along well with our Jersey Shore morning show so well, where we are pulling pranks on one another. If they're still in the room when I'm on the air, they'll be hollering in the background. And that's the stuff that listeners, I feel like appreciate the most, that they're hearing and they're just eavesdropping in on some friends hanging out. And I think that's a big, important part of the escape. As far as the two women for the morning show, friends, yes. And friends can have different points of view, but I think they need to be from different generations because women who are, I mean, please don't try and ask me to quote which generation is where. All I know is I'm a millennial and I'll stick to it. But, you know, women who are in their 40s and 50s, first of all, experienced different things getting into the industry, were brought up in a different world of education versus what I've been brought up in, where even just times where me and um, Shannon Holly, who is among the Jersey Shore Morning Show, you would be surprised at like things that we learn about each other and that just coming from our age gap. Very interesting. But, um, dibs on that idea. What's that? <laughs> I said dibs on that idea. Sorry, I've already <laughs> trademarked it. Yeah, right? <laughs> While we were sitting here, I was just typing away. Um, right. <laughs> um, actually, so I wanted to take you back to the first thing that we talked about, which is how you got all of these glowing reviews when you were on your college radio show. Um, when you were in college, were you just like, I definitely want to work in media, so I'm going to try out this this medium and see if I like it? Or from the get-go, were you like, no, I want to do radio, and like, I, this is like where I see my path going? I kind of stumbled upon radio. It took me a year or two to even declare a major. Um, I did journalism, theater, and minored in Spanish. And so junior year, time was of the essence. And an advisor suggested doing an internship in broadcasting because it could double dip. That's where I worked with um, PLJ and tried to learn as much as I can from the producers and everything. You know, taking a 4.18 a.m. train at 19 was not easy twice a week, but I will never forget, I was in the copy room helping do the prep 
and their overnight guy at the time, his name is uh, Brad maybe came in and was like, you, I've seen you. I think I've heard you speak. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't even had coffee yet, dude. What? It's like, seriously. And I said something and he's like, I've heard your voice. I know like you've expressed interest in producer style roles. You should be behind the mic. And so next week I signed up for my college radio station to kind of see how it would go. And He's been mentoring me ever since and sending me tapes and um, being brutally honest, which I probably wouldn't be where I am without. Speaking of that, do you have uh, air check sessions with your PD there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How often? Um, We try to do once a week and, uh, you know, taking the notes and everything. And just it's something I think people underestimate with this industry is that you have to be ready to accept criticism. Um, even previous program directors of Steve Margolina and Jeff Rafter, you sit down with them and they will listen to a break and be like, what was that? <laughs> and you have to be ready to take it. This is not an industry that sugarcoats. They don't have the time to be like, well, Nicole, I feel like, no, that sucked. It needs to be, be- better tomorrow. So once a week, and I think they're going to start doing more air checks, you know, depending on time of year and ratings periods, but you got to be a sponge, even though it's not always easy. I used to hate air check sessions because I would sit there with the PD or whoever was going over it with me. And I knew what was coming up. You know, I knew what we were going to hear together in the office. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, can't we just get this over with? Or, you know, oop, I, wait a minute, I got to take this call. Could you just listen to that while I step outside? <laughs> that never worked. Oh, it does not. It does but not. It, You're so right, though, about taking constructive criticism. And I think it all depends on how it's put out there. And and you seem to favor the direct method like that sucked. That can't happen again. You have to be better tomorrow. That sounds like maybe something that Scott Shannon might have said to you at some point along the way. He is uh, he has that reputation for being extremely direct and to the point. But, you know, I always found it better just to kind of, you know, all right, that sounded pretty good. I like the way you led into that. However, it kind of fell apart at the end. Maybe we could work on having a beginning, a middle, and an end to your breaks pretty consistently. That's the kind of thing I used to appreciate uh, when I got that kind of criticism. But still, it just (laughs) never made it any easier for me to take ever, which is one of the reasons why I retired. I was tired of going over air checks. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Now I know. There's different program directors out there who all have different ways of leading. There's definitely a way to demand a high standard without being like kablam, but also there is a way to be direct, but nice and respectful. And I find that being direct usually gets the most results the quickest. And I'm Mm -hmm. trying to be successful yesterday and I'm not going to have that happen with sugarcoating. So So when you're scouring around for the content that you're making every day, is there a recent story that you created something on recently that you were just like really excited about or really found to be like a lot of fun? Something more lighthearted because there's a lot of stuff in between like Wendy Williams and all that. But I was dying of laughter with uh, Whoopi Goldberg trying to end the view 20 minutes early because it just became such a relatable moment of like, holiday weekends, or even on a Friday, we've all tried to like sneak on out and like, there comes the boss walking in and it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So stuff like that, where, um, cause also being middays, it's a big at work crowd. 
So whenever there's a story about like a really annoying coworker, it just, it can become such a funny moment where if it's resonating enough, people call in and be like, I have this employee that, you know, and it just, it, it just helps the show with the interactive aspect. So. Nicole, I know you have a real love of animals and you have a, a fur kid or two there somewhere. I know that. Yes, I have a dog named Carolina who I'm all dolled up and was getting ready. So she's under the coffee table giving me guilt eyes because she thinks I'm leaving. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, does she uh, work into your uh, daily stuff on the air? Oh my God, all the time. Yeah. Especially because there's, it depends. Um, there'll be certain days that she will just do stuff that cracks me up um, during COVID and when everyone was working from home, it's almost like she knew when I was pressing record because then there she would go squeak, squeak, squeak. Um, but then also sometimes I do it for more serious topics of, um, you know, adopt, don't shop, animal treatment. There's also a movement going on that there can't really be like, like you have to, in order to sell an animal, you have to have it be from a shelter or a rescue. So like that's catching up pace. So, you know, I feel like just saying, please don't like go to a puppy mill. It's, I went to a rescue. I got a dog named Carolina. Does she have her quirks? So she have things that we've needed to work on, but she has come leaps and bounds. And I feel like if they hear me doing it, hopefully they'll do it. Amen. Love that. Love that. I, I got involved with uh, uh, the SPCA there in uh, central Jersey when I was working in New Brunswick. And we used to go to the, to the SPCA there and I try and get those dogs, you know, uh, a, a forever home. And for the most part, most of them were what they call pit bulls or Staffordshire, Staffordshire Terriers. I used to go there once a week and they would bring these dogs out and they would videotape me interacting with the dogs. You know, like how great is this dog? Wouldn't this dog be a great companion for you at home? You know, and but these things would come out and jump all over me and they were big muscular dogs and they were just like I used to come home with scratches and black and blue marks and everything but they licked me to death in the end and I just loved it and I could see you doing that too I mean I could see you sort of being a proponent of getting dogs and cats you know forever homes I try yeah whenever there's stories we used to we used to do more of that but then COVID really came to a screeching halt because then that, that, that involves people coming face to face once a week, every week. That's my goal. That would be my goal. It's just every time I pet another dog, I have to walk in and go like this so she can sniff me because I'm a big old cheater, but whatever I can do, I've always tried to. You know, I, I see you as being someone eventually, I'm not saying tomorrow or next week or even next month, but I see you as being someone who will be heard all over the country and you'll be huge. Thank you. I'm thinking Delilah, but without the Delilah-ness, you know, I'm, okay. <laughs> you know, one of these days, Nicole Murray is going to be one of those people that you walk into a, a store and you're going to hear her no matter where you are, no matter what city you're in. That's just, I think that's the kind of the talent that you have. Thank and you. I, I've thought that for a long time and it's just uh, waiting out there for someone to pluck it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I really appreciate those kind words. Just it's been a lot of hard work for sure. But well, yeah, of course, it's been hard work. I mean, it, you have to do you have to put in the work in order to be successful. That's yeah. for sure. That's why I never made it to the top. I was not willing to put in the kind of work that it takes. 
I'm kidding, of course. I'm gonna say uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, Nicole, I I, I got to say that uh, being a Jersey girl, would you ever consider doing something that I did, which was move across the country to take a radio job? My only rule is wherever I go, I got to take my dog. That's my only rule. That's it. Okay. That's it. All right. Well, it was real fun catching up with you. And uh, I'm so glad to see that you're doing so well. And really, you know, even after these few years, you're really just getting started. So, uh, you know, you're one of those people that I can look at and say, you know, I knew her at the very beginning of her career. I didn't help at all, but I knew her yes. <laughs> at the very beginning of her career. Yes, you did. So, and it's just, you know, there's something so satisfying to see someone that you know has the talent and the drive and puts in the work uh, to make it like you have and you will continue to do in even bigger ways. So I, I congratulate you. And uh, I'm in your corner, have been for a long time. Right back at you. Thank you. You're, you're the sweetest. And I appreciate you taking the time here to join us on the Encore podcast. Nicole Murray. The pride and joy of Town Square Media. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I think that Nicole is maybe one of the most perky guests that we've had in recent history. And I can totally see why it is that she has such a good online presence and such a good on-air presence, too. Yeah, well, she does uh, perk very well, but it's all natural. None of it is forced. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why she's so successful is that, yeah, she's like that in real life. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not, she's not putting it on. You know, they say everybody who does what she does for a living takes their personality and amplifies it. But it's that degree to which you amplify it, which I think makes a difference in people. And for Nicole, you know, what you see is what you get. And uh, she's just very good. And she's got a long way to go. And she's going to get there. You know, she's just one of those people that I knew from very early on. Uh, This kid, this woman has talent. And she's going to do really well. It's kind of like the way I felt about you, Gabby. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Although I would say Nicole is very well on her way already versus myself, who's still still working my way there. But one thing that really stuck with me about Nicole's interview was the fact that she is about my age and she is making a career for herself in radio, which I would say is probably not one of the forms of communication that I think people our age really pursue um, right out of the gate to create media careers. But I think what's interesting about what she's doing is that she has like a full career on the radio, but she's turning it or I don't know if she's turning it into something else, but she's almost like marrying the more um, recent forms of of how our generation becomes like media famous to the job that she currently has, which I think is pretty uh, both innovative and is probably pretty difficult, but she seems really good at it. Yeah, I totally agree. She really uh, parlays it very well and she understands social media and how to use it. Uh, and, and, and she does an excellent job at that. And she understands radio too. She understands that one-on-one communication, that feeling that when you listen to someone on the radio, you feel like, you know, them, I don't know how much radio listening you do. And I don't do a whole lot myself anymore. Uh, but there are times when I would listen and I would 
wait for that person to come on the air that I just enjoyed. And if I missed them or if they were off for the day, I felt like, wait a minute, what are you doing? You can't do this to me. You're supposed to be there. I don't <laughs> want, I don't want to hear I'm filling in for so-and-so, you know, I want you there because I think I know you and you, and, and you feel like a friend. And if I don't know you, I'd love to get to know you. I'd love to hang out. That's the kind of feeling that really good communicators on the radio, uh, uh, express. So yeah. And, and she has that talent. Absolutely. She was a lot of fun to talk to. I thought she gave us a really good insight on, you know, building your media personality and, and working hard. And I'm sure that high success for her that she wants is not far away. All right. Well, thank you, Nicole Murray, for being our guest. It was uh, very nice to talk to you and catch up. By the way, next week, the next episode here of the Encore podcast, without saying exactly who our guest will be, let me put it this way. He's green. He was born in the Galapagos Islands, and he spent most of his life at a baseball stadium. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Got sued by Major League Baseball for using his name on an episode. <laughs> did they really? They did. <laughs> we just learned this when we went to the uh, sunny podcast taping last Sunday. Are we okay? Do we need to check our legal department as far as the next ep- next week's episode? Well, we haven't said anything, so I think I think we're good. Okay, Major good. League Baseball, don't come after us. <laughs> yeah, you got your own problems to worry about, <laughs> not us. <laughs> All right, hey Gab, I'll catch you next week on the Encore. Thanks, everybody.